morning. Welcome to Grace. My name is Ardalis Green. We're in the second installment in our series entitled Thanks Living. There's an insert if you want to follow along. We'll also have it up on the screen. But what is Thanks Living? It's living a lifestyle of giving thanks. The New Testament word for that is Eucharisto. It's overcoming the habit of our hearts of being in, having ingratitude or non-Eucharisto. And it's intentionally giving thanks, both verbally as well as journaling. When we give thanks, we're slowing down from our normal pace of racing and rushing and seeing the goodness and the grace of God in our lives. We see the sugar maple in all her glory in fall colors. We savor a really good chocolate chip cookie. So this is a gift from God. We listen to music that just moves our souls. We really enjoy just the experience of being with a child, holding a child in our arms. I want to move myself more deeply into this lifestyle. How about you? Lifestyle of giving thanks, of knowing that washed and folded clothes didn't just magically appear there. There was, first of all, a mountain of clothes, and there was a sorting process, and there was a washing process and a folding and delivery process. Someone made that happen. Of realizing that dinners don't magically appear on the table, that there was a process of you know, gathering, going to the store, going to the field, of um, putting things away, you know, of putting things out and cooking and serving them up of being thankful for the person who works on my car and makes my car to run, being thankful for the person who fills the glass with water and brings me extra lemons, of being glad for the person who makes the coffee. I really want to overcome in my own heart the habit of ingratitude. My sense is that most of the time we're much better at grumbling, complaining, ignoring, protesting, fussing than we are at giving thanks. The giving of thanks is the work of the Spirit in our hearts over and against our natural tendency to grumble and complain. A good test for you in regards to your own spirit is November the 9th. <laughs> That's Wednesday of this week. Will you be grumbling and complaining about the outcome of the election or be thankful? This has been an awful campaign season. We have seen scandal after scandal. There's people with deplorable character. Now there is division in families and communities. If your focus is on your candidate winning and your candidate loses, you could see life catastrophically. But I want to say that God is on the throne on Sunday, November 6th. He's on the throne Monday, November 7th. And God will be on the throne on November the 8th. And God will be on the throne on November the 9th. And no matter who wins the election, Jesus is king. I know that some of you can't vote out of your conscience. Some of you will be voting against someone. Some of you feel like it's a lesser of two evils. But I'm going to be fasting tomorrow. And I invite you to be fasting and praying over our nation because I really believe our nation needs so much prayer right now. 
It's God who is not stressed out about the headlines. God isn't freaked out by the candidates. God puts people in their places. And before we ever pledge allegiance to a flag, we pledge allegiance to the king, and his name is Jesus. And we will serve him and be all about his kingdom all through this week. I have been reading this amazing little book, and I want you to read it also. It's, called, it's by Ann Voskamp. And you'd have a copy, maybe you want to find this book again, or order it on Amazon.com. You can have it in two days if you're a Prime member. <laughs> the storyline of the book tells a story about moving from ingratitude, which she calls this non-Eucharisto life, to living a life of being thankful. She's the mother of six. Many of you here are mothers. She's looking for a fuller life. She lives with her husband, whom she calls the farmer, on the farm, and they live out in the country. She rises early in the morning to make porridge, her oatmeal for her family. She scrubs toilets. She does laundry. But there's an element missing from her life, maybe missing from your life as well. She reads in the Bible that says that Jesus broke bread and gave thanks. And the word for giving thanks there is Eucharisto. The root word for Eucharisto is the word charis, meaning grace. Jesus took the bread and saw it as the grace of God and gave thanks for it. But there's more. The, the derivative word of Eucharisto is the word kara, meaning joy. What she longed for in her life, perhaps this is your longing also, is to find the joy. The joy of the Lord is our strength, right? The joy of God. And so what she found is that joy is found in the common moments of life by seeing the grace of God being given to us to joyfully make the porch, to joyfully scrub the toilets, to joyfully doing the laundry. God giving her grace, she expressing to God thanksgiving and overflowing with a sense of joy. Last week, I encouraged you to be writing these things down in a journal. And my first three journal entries were an umbrella on a cold, windy Chicago day, hot chocolate to warm my soul, and a warm shower I probably spent too much time in after that cold rain. My last two entries are Verla Mahaffey and Tom Mahaffey. We're finishing up 28 years here. This is Tom's last Sunday. And Pastor Mike, who will be giving his last sermon in a couple weeks to us, two faithful members of our team. This morning, I want to take you to Luke chapter 17, and we'll begin this study this morning on thankfulness and verse number 11, a famous story about 10 lepers. The story reads as follows. Now on his way to Jerusalem, Jesus traveled along the border between Samaria and Galilee. As he was going into a village, there were 10 men who were lepers who met him. They stood at a distance and called out to in a loud voice, Jesus, Master, have pity on us. When he saw them, he said, go show yourselves to the priest. And as they went, they were cleansed. One of them, when he saw that he was healed, came back praising God in a loud voice. He threw himself at Jesus' feet and thanked him, and he was a Samaritan. Jesus asked, were not ten cleansed? Where are the other nine? Was no one found to return and give praise to God except this foreigner? Then he said to him, rise and go. Your faith has made you well. Last week we talked about Jesus sending out the 70. 
These were people like us that were, whose lives were transformed by Jesus that went to various towns two by two to announce the coming of the kingdom, to lay hands upon the sick, to announce peace be to the house. Now Jesus himself is visiting these cities. Jesus went, where he went, there was a sense of divine presence, of goodness and compassion, of mercy and grace. There was divine power to restore and to heal. Now this Jesus is going around preaching the kingdom, healing the sick, and he happens to be now between Galilee and Samaria, and he enters, he's about to enter a village. And suddenly ten men who had leprosy met him, and they stood at a distance. They stood at a distance indicates that their disease was very serious. It was leprosy. In biblical times, leprosy was so severe and had potential to wipe out a population and so great that God laid down a prescription in Leviticus saying, command the children of God, of Israel, that they put the leper out of their camp. Leprosy was a dreaded disease because it was a slow, progressive disease. It would first show up with blotches on the skin, and then what would happen is like body parts would start falling off, like noses and ears and eyelashes and eyebrows. Eventually, the body would desensitize to pain. A leper would walk on things like fire and not feel pain, hold a sharp object and not feel the pain, and then there'd be an infection, and they would lose that body part. Lepers' bodies were literally rotting away, and they emitted a foul odor. They also would attack, would attack the larynx of the voice. They had a raspy voice. Leprosy was the worst disease of the day. It took 30 years to run its course. In that time span, the body would degenerate. It's a horrible disease. Hard to imagine how bad it was without medical treatment or without pain medication. Beth Moore, many of you know Beth Moore, she was traveling abroad and she wanted to go to a leper colony to minister there, but she couldn't quite enter because she was overwhelmed by the smell. As bad as the physical pain of leprosy was, the emotional pain was perhaps even worse because the leper was removed from his family and from his community. They had no contact with their children or grandchildren or spouses. The wife could not even kiss these guys goodbye and would not have any contact with them at all. So they roamed around looking for food, begging for assistance, feeling desperate. Have you ever felt desperate? If you watch a Redskins game, you might see a desperation once in a while, a Hail Mary pass. You watch soccer, you'll see the goalie being pulled up as the last-ditch effort to try to win a game. But a desperate person is feeling the absence of hope. A desperate person will do practically anything to get out of that condition. There's the desperation of physical pain. Perhaps you've been there. Like you'd do anything to get out of this pain. There's the desperation of emotional pain. Like I'll do anything to numb this pain. There's desperation in relationships. Like it's not getting better, it's getting worse. There's desperation in our work, an assignment, like, I'd do anything to get out of this. Desperation is not a comfortable feeling. 
(laughs) And what all desperate people have in common is they don't want to feel desperate anymore. They don't want to be desperate. These lepers are feeling desperation. There aren't any doctors to go to. There's nothing positive on the horizon. There's no cure for leprosy. They've been cut off from their families, their community. They can't work to make a living. Their bodies are gradually falling apart, and they're hopeless. Hopelessness is something perhaps we've all felt. Hopelessness in our work, like I'm just overwhelmed by how much I have to do. Overwhelmed in our marriages, feeling hopeless, right? Irreconcilable differences. Feeling hopeless in our health, I'll never get well. But leprosy is another level of feeling desperate, of hopeless. If you're feeling desperate, you might want to listen in. Because a soldier can often feel very desperate. Away from their families, problems they can't fix at home, deployments requiring them to be away, strains in their relationships, hardships in their assignments, memories locked into their soul. Desperation. No matter how desperate you feel, I want to tell you there's hope. I want to speak hope over you. I want to speak hope into you because Jesus Christ is our hope. He is the anchor of our soul. I was out in San Francisco a couple years ago, and I learned that every week on the Golden Gate Bridge, there's somebody jumping off. Did you know they actually have counselors on the Golden Gate Bridge trying to talk people off the ledge? So great is the despair, contemplating ending it all. Now promise me, if you ever get there, you'll ask for help. If you're there, there's help available for you. I heard as the counselors talk to people on that bridge, trying to talk them off the ledge, there are people driving by saying, jump. I don't know what hurtful things have been spoken over you. I don't know what uh, you carry inside of you, what the situation in your life is really like. But I want to tell you that there's hope in the person of Jesus and there's hope in community. Now, what do these guys do in their desperate condition? They knew, like we know, we can't fix ourselves. They knew they could not heal themselves. They had come to the end of themselves. Now, the end of ourselves is often the beginning of God. It's actually a precondition for the gospel that we see our own brokenness, our own barrenness, our own desperation. And what did they do? Well, they called out in a loud voice. Now, remember their larynx had become raspy from the disease. Jesus, Master, have mercy on us. Lepers were to be avoided, right? Nobody wanted to get close to them. But Jesus would touch lepers and heal them. The powerful, strong hands of Jesus, yet tender enough to touch a leper. And they said the word master. Now, the word master has some weight and honor and authority and power. And these guys are asking Jesus to have mercy on them. Jesus was their only hope, their only chance. 
Their faith wasn't strong, but they asked Jesus to have mercy upon them. You know, when Jesus walks into your life, Jesus can bring order out of disorder. Jesus can give hope where there's hopelessness. And so these guys said, God, have mercy on us. I wonder, you know, as I read the story, what did Jesus see when he saw the leper? What does Jesus see when he sees us? These guys were missing fingers, right? Their limbs were reduced to stumps. They were falling apart. They were in great emotional distress, estranged from their families. He saw their spiritual pain, their cries in the night, their pleas to be made well, their distance from God. You see, most lepers felt as if God was punishing them. Maybe that's how you felt at times, as if God were punishing you. So Jesus gave them a very simple command. Go show yourself to the priest. <laughs> I wonder why Jesus didn't say, like, be healed, right? Like, poof, be healed. And, but he said, go show yourself to the priest for a couple of reasons. First of all, he's giving them something to do. You see, when God wants to do a miracle, there's a part that God can do and only God can do, but God won't do the part that we have to do. These, these lepers are being called to take a step of faith, to become obedient to Jesus. And he's affirming the validity of divine law. You see, back then, the priest was not only a priest, but he was sort of a public health official. There weren't uh, doctors to examine. There were priests. So the priest would look over the person, determine if they'd been made well, sprinkle on them some blood, and then pronounce cleanness over them. And these priests would hear the testimony of these men who had been cleansed. I mean, what happened to you? Well, I encountered Jesus, and Jesus made me well. So he commands them to go to the priest. So what happens? <laughs> As they went, they were cleansed. Jesus has the power to cleanse us from our deepest defilement. They look at their bodies. Suddenly, eyebrows and eyelashes grow back. Suddenly, their noses come back on their faces. Suddenly, hands sprout new fingers. Their toes are coming back on the way they were healed. <laughs> their hand was teeming with life. Their leg was back, you know, whole, complete. Their skin cleared up. The rash was gone. One looked at the other, the other looked at the next, and then the yelling began, like, woohoo, we're better. And they were broke into, like, shouting. I mean, can you imagine lepers, you know, dying, now living well? The path to the wellness of their soul involved for them faith and obedience. God loves you so much that he wants you to have faith and obey him even when you have really hard circumstances. You know, if we only praise God on the good days, the best of circumstances, it wouldn't be faith. Some of you find yourself this morning in horrible circumstances. If you will trust God and obey God, even in those circumstances, live by faith. He can make you well. One of them, when he saw he was well, came back praising God in a loud voice. 
He was thankful. Now, the question in my, my mind is, why was he so loud? Well, he had been begging for a long time, you know, asking for things. He kind of knew how to be loud. He knew how to be quiet in the presence of God. And then secondly, he experienced a miracle, so he was praising God. Be sure that you acknowledge God for his goodness. When he realized he was healed, he turned back full of joy and amazement and wonder. Perhaps it was dawning on him, like it's dawning on you, that he was in the presence of God. He was longing for a relationship with this divine healer. He wanted to give himself to God. He knew he was a sinner. He knew he was falling apart. But he wanted to worship and praise the name of Jesus. Jesus had become his Savior and his Redeemer. He wanted to glorify God with his life. So he praised God in a loud voice, and he threw himself at Jesus' feet, and he worshiped. Now listen, so many times our worship is fueled out of the goodness of God, that our affections are warmed with the goodness of God, the grace of God to us, that he came to the feet of Jesus. I imagine him kind of clinging to his legs, saying, thank you, thank you, thank you, thank you. Thank you. It seems as if he repeated himself over and over again. Thank you, God. Thank you, Jesus. It was a beautiful, touching moment of a man made well in the presence of Jesus. What about the other nine? Well, they received the grace of God. Their bodies were healed as well, but they did not come back. They did not bow at Jesus' feet. They did not praise God with a loud voice. They didn't really have an interest in Jesus anymore. They got what they wanted out of him, but they didn't have a desire to worship him or glorify him or thank him. Now we're face to face with the dominant attitude that Jesus experienced when he was here. People were oblivious to who he was and the grace he brought, not giving thanks to him, but rather just moving on with their lives, taking the food he offers, taking the healing he offers, and not giving him back worship. But what about the one? He knew he needed a Savior. He had been face-to-face with God. He was a sinner, and he experienced the mercy and compassion, the kindness of God. (laughs) So Jesus had three questions in the story. The first was, were not all ten cleansed? The sentence suggests that, yes, all ten received healing. Jesus asked, where are the other nine? Literally, where are the nine? Where are they? They ought to be here. Was no one found to return and give praise to God except this foreigner? Now, here was a man of Samaritan. These, these guys were largely Jewish. There was one Samaritan. And the Samaritan saw the miracle and returned thanks. He lived in an attitude of gratitude, you see. So let's look at the story again and understand three big words that appear in it. The first of the words is hayatha, that they were cleansed. They were unclean, and they had been washed now and cleansed. It's as if the hands are dirty and they've been made clean again. It can refer to the mending process, repairing as if a bone has been mended. 
Then Jesus asked, the, were not the ten cleansed? That's the word catharizo, a medical term to remove impurities. If a catheter is put into our bodies, it is meant to re remove a blockage or impurities. These ten were cleansed. The Jewish priests would examine to see if the impurities were removed. And then Jesus said to him, Go, your faith has made you well. That's the word sozo. It's a medical term used to describe the safe delivery of a baby, but it means saved or made well or made whole. It means true wellness, complete wellness. I want to make five so what answers to you. Our wellness, the wellness of your soul, the wellness of my soul is associated with gratitude. I said last week that those people who practice giving thanks actually reduce their stress hormones. They lower their blood pressure. They increase endorphins. And they strengthen their immune system every day as they give thanks. But I'm not talking here about physical health. Your faith has made you well. The word is sozo. Sozo means salvation. It means true wellness, complete wholeness. To live sozo is to live the full life. Jesus came that we might have life and life more abundant. Jesus came to give us sozo. So what, what, when did the leper receive his sozo, his salvation? When he returned and gave thanks to God. Our being saved is associated with gratitude. Your faith has saved you. The leper's faith, that was a faith that saved him, said thank you. We are saved by faith alone, but the faith that saves says thank you. Because how else could we receive this enormous gift unless we expressed it with thanksgiving? Thanksgiving is the evidence of our acceptance of the gift that God has given us. Thanksgiving is the manifestation of us saying yes to God's grace. Thanksgiving is necessary to live a well, whole, full life. Secondly, we often miss the grace of God. The nine lepers missed the grace of God. They didn't have any doctor to make an appointment with. They didn't have any pain meds to take the edge off. They didn't have an ER to go to. They didn't have health insurance. They didn't have any hope. There was no cure on the horizon, but they had Jesus. And Jesus is a manifestation of the grace of God. When God gives us grace, he gives us something we don't deserve. They were getting worse and worse, losing body parts by the day, sick from the top of their head to the soles of their feet. And Jesus heard their cry, saw their condition, and gave them a simple command to go show themselves the priest. <laughs> I think it's pretty easy to miss the grace of God, isn't it? The sunrise, the sunrise is amazing. Anybody up for a sunrise? The sunsets, the sugar maple. Come to my neighborhood, I'll show you the most amazing sugar maple. The fall apple with its tartness and sweetness. 
But I don't want to miss this grace of God manifest in Jesus because therein is wellness and wholeness. God gives us what we don't deserve, and nobody deserves this gift. Third, wholeness is being thankful for God's goodness. Positionally, we have been made whole in Christ. You were broken and been made whole. You lack nothing. But practically speaking, when you express thanks for God's goodness, you become more and more sanctified, more and more living and loving like Jesus. Thanksgiving is a day that will come and go. The turkey, the sweet potatoes, and the, sweet, and the pumpkin pie. You'll see family you haven't seen in a while. You'll see football games that perhaps you just, I don't know. <laughs> but if you have Thanksgiving only for a day, you're going to miss God's best because God wants you to have Thanksgiving as a lifestyle because Thanksgiving fuels our worship. And the more Thanksgiving we have, the more joy wells up in our heart. We give thanks for the people we do our work with, right? The work we get to do, the strength to do the work. Be sure you take time to acknowledge God and his goodness and be thankful. And fourth, make sure your thanksgiving, thankfulness, leads to action. One of these lepers got down the road and came back. He realized he was healed. So he reversed his steps and he headed in the direction of Jesus to give him thanks. Let me ask you, what kind of action is Jesus calling you to take out of your gratefulness? God has been so good to us. To whom can we be good to? God has shown us such mercy. Who can we show this mercy to? Who has the Holy Spirit been urging you to take an action toward? Is there some action you feel compelled to do? And fifth, and I'll say this to you, don't be afraid to move toward the mess. I want you to address the mess. <laughs> I believe that we're all a mess, or we were all a mess, or we're one dumb, dumb decision from being a mess. And I'm surrounded by people that are in messes all the time, right? I've made a lot of messes out of my life, right? I've made a lot of bad decisions. But in a person with a mess, you have to decide that you're going to walk or wade into that mess. So many times there's an email. I'm not sure I want to answer that email. There's a phone call. I'm not sure I want to get into that person's problem. I'm sure I want to get into that person's problem. I remember one guy I was working with, his life was a total disaster, a total mess. And I don't know over the couple years we were working together whether he changed, but I can guarantee you I changed. So what we need to do is we need to realize that God has called us on this earth on a mission. Not to move away from the messes, but be the hands and feet of Jesus moving toward the mess. Loving people in messy situations, in messy relationships, with messy financial dealings, with messy drug addictions, with messy past, to not be driven by convenience. You know, when we get too busy, when we get too busy, there's no room to move toward messes. 
when we don't have the capacity in our lives to move into someone's life who's messy, we just are too busy. Convenience will keep us from that. And comfort. Comfort is a great place to recover, but it's a bad place to live. You will never know the best version of yourself before you step into someone's mess and show them the love of Jesus. But it involves for us surrender to him, right? We surrender our messes to him, and we surrender our lives to him to be available to be involved with his kingdom mission, his kingdom work. So would you pray with me? Father, here we are on the eve of the election. We um, see the heart of Jesus, full of compassion and mercy. We, God, cry out to you for mercy in our own lives because we made a mess of things. And we're around all kinds of messes. But you love messy people. And you show us the steps we to take. Would you order our steps, Lord, to show us what our step of faith and obedience might be in the situation we find ourselves? And then to be truly thankful, thankful from the heart for the grace of God that flows into our lives, to have an attitude of gratitude. But first, it's going to take us surrendering, surrendering all that we have, all that we are, all that we're in to you, God, surrendering our children, our grandchildren, marriages all around us, our nation, surrendering to you. So we sing, Lord, may you hear our hearts just laying things at the feet of Jesus. Would you enable us to be worshipers who find ourselves at your feet, giving thanks, giving glory to you, Lord, for the grace in our lives. God, meet us, we ask in Jesus' name.